Hey everybody, it's Marnie with the Golden Thread Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today. And today we are going to be talking all about trauma and addiction and mental health and substance abuse. And I'm very, very honored um, to be connecting to somebody actually all the way in Texas. And her name is Kat Perry. She's the clinical director of Ripple Ranch Recovery Center in Comal County, Texas. Um, which is a short distance from Austin and San Antonio. I've never been there, but maybe one day. So today we're going to be talking all about um, the healing power of the present moment, understanding mindfulness in the context of trauma recovery, and just doing a deep dive into what is trauma, what is um, not trauma, and maybe a little bit more about the connection between mindfulness and somatic therapy and just all kinds of wonderful, wonderful, good things. So stay tuned. And I hope that you guys are ready for this great episode with our seasoned expert, Kat. So thanks, Kat, for being on the program. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Um, can you tell me a little bit about, about your experience and like what brought you into this field work and... I know you're in Texas now, but just tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. So I um, have been working in the field since 2018, actually doing therapy. And I got my degree in psychology um, back in 2014. I got my master's in social work in 2022, I believe is actually when I graduated. My gosh, that's so crazy. That was uh, actually it was 2021. Um, and I've been working in the field, um, of substance use, helping people who struggle with opiate addiction was my first experience. And then I've been working in this inpatient model now for two years. Mm -hmm. Um, I have known I wanted to be a therapist since I was 13 years old. So that's kind of been my track for my whole life at wow. this point and really just have always wanted to help people. I learned at 16 that I really wanted to work in the field of addictions because there was always something that led to people struggling with substance use. Um, and I wanted to be able to help figure out what that was. Um, mm -hmm. And what's super interesting is that trauma has kind of always been something I think I've seen without even being trained in. Mm -hmm. Um, and then mm -hmm. as I got more trained in it, I was like, oh my gosh, trauma is like this underlying issue that is pretty much, uh, for what I would say uh, is majority of people's situations that struggle with, uh, with substance use, they have some underlying trauma history there. Mm -hmm. Um, I've grew up in Texas, um, grew up in Houston and moved to San Antonio about seven and a half years ago. Um, married, have a little boy that's three months old, um, uh -huh. and that's all new and fun, um, <laughs> and just enjoying that journey now. <laughs> um, but it's it's definitely new <laughs> and challenging. I'm sure my kids are full grown now, so it's always it's such a it's such a precious time. So enjoy it. Absolutely, it definitely is. Thank you. <laughs> of course. And I just love how you were saying um, you always knew that you wanted to like to help and find ways to help people. And I, I really feel that anybody who's working in recovery or in recovery centers or 
any of those places, anything in mental health, like just social work in general, everybody's just a total angel in disguise. And it takes a lot to be able to, to work within that field. And then to really want to have a passion about that too, is just very commendable. So I'm really grateful for, for you um, helping all the people that you're helping. Oh, well, thank you. It's, it's definitely been an amazing and rewarding journey. And I'm excited to see what the future holds um, Mm -hmm. in continuing this work. Which is very, very complex. And so let's go into it. Um, Yes. Let's go into trauma. And especially you and I have, we both have our own, our own experience with it. and, And definitely my training is a little different from yours. And so I think it's, it's good to kind of go into what we know trauma to be and what is mainstream trauma right now, what people are saying uh, in terms of social media and how that's getting a lot of, I think, diagnosis uh, convoluted. But yeah, let's go into just like, could you just explain a little bit to the audience and to everybody who's listening uh, what trauma is and just the varying degrees of trauma so they could maybe understand a little bit more and maybe have an idea of how they might be incorporating that into their own um, self-diagnosis. Sure. So I think um, most people are familiar with the term post-traumatic stress disorder. So that is a disorder, not necessarily trauma, and I think that's where sometimes the the um, terminology can get blended and misused. Um, so trauma is an event that happens to an individual um, that is impacting them in a deep way that is not something they can just get over very, very easily. So typically it's a life-threatening event. Um, there's some sort of danger involved at times. It can also be danger to somebody else. Um, it can be things such as abuse, um, whether it be physical, emotional, sexual abuse. It can be going through a natural disaster. It can be death or loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I will say this, that trauma is very subjective. So something that someone goes through um, that is traumatic to one person may not be as traumatic to another. However, mm-hmm just going and bumping your knee is not necessarily traumatic. Mm-hmm. It's an inconvenience and it was not something um, that you want to do again. So your brain is like, Oh, be careful. But mm-hmm. it is not something that makes this visceral response that your whole nervous system and brain goes offline and says, Oh my gosh, danger, danger, danger. Mm-hmm. Um, every single time you're around it. Mm-hmm. Um so that is what the difference in trauma in a minor inconvenience may be. There's um, something called big T trauma, which is more that life-threatening danger type of trauma. There's something called little T trauma, which would be something like um, whenever you were a child and your parents kept telling you, hey, don't have those big emotions out loud. You need to go, go in your room and have them. That's a little T trauma where you learn these things of my emotions are not acceptable. I need to be somewhere else to have them. So that's an example of little T trauma. And then there's complex trauma, which is multiple traumas that happen in someone's life um, that compound together. And it creates this very long trauma narrative, which that original trauma has a hard time healing because there's so many traumas that have made it more complex since then. 
So that's mm-hmm. kind of the differentiation between different types of trauma. And I think that there's, there is, you know, I deal with a lot of people with complex trauma, but I do feel mm-hmm. that there are so many um, varying degrees of understanding what trauma is and what that means for you and your own maybe connection to your body and how it's processing whatever level of trauma that you're at. And um, I think a majority of people, I think the statistic has had, you know, some kind of traumatic experience, right? I think women in particular um, definitely have more traumatic experiences, but what would you say right now are some of the misconceptions that you think are going around where we could clear up today with what trauma really is? Sure. I, I think with, and it's a really complex way to kind of go through it is I think what happens is that the disorder is what people associate to everyone. Mm -hmm. it, it, It triggers my PTSD. I have PTSD and they've never had a formal diagnosis of that. Well, mm-hmm. PTSD has some very, very significant uh, markers, um, mm-hmm. things like hypervigilance, always being aware of your surroundings and being like super aware for danger constantly, um, mm-hmm. nightmares, flashbacks, avoidance. Avoidance is probably one of the biggest parts of a response to trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, there's different behaviors, risky behaviors um, that people will try and feel something because trauma kind of mutes that them from feeling things a -hmm. loss of connection to people um so trauma the the true impacts of trauma that become into a ptsd state they they're impacting the day-to-day life now that's not to say that an instance may not have been traumatic but it may not be a lasting effect of a trauma being on the, in that person's life. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, uh, if I can share an experience I recently had, um, mm-hmm. my husband and I, um, we recently saw a person get hit by a car. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was really, really uh, impactful. And it took me a few days before I felt comfortable driving at night because this happened at nighttime. And I, I remember being like, oh my gosh, this was, this was traumatic seeing somebody die. And, but I also understand that it was traumatic and not a post-traumatic stress disorder is happening to me now. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a differentiation in that because we all do experience some very heavy things in our life that are, are difficult. Even just having a person die in your life, which is very natural Um, Mm -hmm. We're all going to experience that at some point Mm -hmm. can be traumatic, but it's the later impact of that, um, that becomes an issue. Now, some people, I think it's, I want to have this thing to hold on to uh, Mm -hmm. as an experience to, and I do think sometimes it's in order to be unique, um, there can be some, some tie to feeling like this connection with others who've had trauma. And that is a huge part of trauma healing. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the same time, it's not always a disordered traumatic response, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, completely. I, I, I definitely, I thank you for that 
example because I do think that I, I had somebody who recently also viewed somebody getting hit by a car and um, they were also in recovery and, you know, they just couldn't shake it. They just, and then they started to kind of like do a little bit of trauma bonding where they were utilizing that in order to start using again to handle mm -hmm. their stress and handle their mental wellness was shaken. And instead of going and doing the healthy things, you know, it was, is kind of going back towards the substances. But I do feel that sometimes we do a lot of transference or projection and um, we don't take ownership also, or, you know, solidarity in our sobriety in a lot of ways, which is, which gets very complicated, like you said, but for people that are listening, I think they could, maybe be able to start to make some distinctions of if they if they have gone through a traumatic event or like let's say something that's happening in hawaii right now like where my family is like on maui um my family's mm -hmm. on maui but they're on oahu and you have a whole town that's that's been disintegrated to the ground and a lot of people have lost their homes and um, lost their businesses and lost their family members and there's a whole huge community that's that's grieving tremendously from, you know, environmental loss in a lot of way, catastrophic loss and um, the varying degrees of trauma that's going on over there for people, I think is uh, extremely sensitive to talk about right now. And Absolutely. Um, although there's a lot of mental health wellness people stepping forward, there's a lot of help that's, that's available. I think that, um, something like that of that magnitude has never been has never happened except for when hurricane aniki came that was another natural disaster but um how do you think is the best way for people to kind of navigate through let's say a big traumatic experience that's kind of happening let's say in a town like that or you know as a collective um how do people navigate through something like that and is it something that they need to be like oh am i getting triggered here i need to definitely check in with someone or is it like i should probably do some preventative work and maybe go into a support group right now because this is really triggering me um or am i noticing that i'm disassociating right now and completely numbing out um or maybe i'm going into an addictive pattern that i haven't done in a long time what would you say is some advice for people? Right. And that that's such a good example um, because that was life altering um, what took place over there and so many people's lives were affected. Um, I think one of the biggest things for people to do when they go through something like that and any trauma is to talk about it. Mm -hmm. If you don't talk about it, the more it sits in your brain and creates this fear that can create the can create PTSD. Mm -hmm. So we we encourage people when they have a traumatic experience and especially a collective uh, traumatic experience to talk about it. Find those support groups like you were saying. I think being preventative is way better than waiting to see. Uh, okay, I'm going to wait and see if this really affects me. No, get ahead of it. Make sure that you're yeah. talking about it. Talk about that. This scared me. Talk about that. Mm -hmm. I'm so sad that I lost my home. I'm so sad mm -hmm. that I can't go to the same spot that I went for serenity every day because mm -hmm. now it's ash. 
those are the types of things that need to be talked about and not just, I need to be strong. So let's not speak about this thing and move on from it. Mm-hmm. So you're, because you're not moving on from it. No one, I think, expects somebody to move on from something that ex- catastrophizing in their life mm-hmm. that quickly. It, I think um, in our, I would say, especially in American culture, it's very like, okay, that happened to you. Now, like, move on and get over it. But if we're talking person to person, no one, I think, really truly expects someone to get over something that fast because that was life altering. Yeah. And so continue to have conversations, seeking professional help if it's available. Um, There's different um, trauma therapies that even for someone who doesn't have PTSD, it can be beneficial. Um, so eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. So EMDR can be mm-hmm. extremely helpful in preventing that from becoming something that gets stuck in the brain. Um, there's things called recent trauma protocols that can be done um, and that can be helpful. Um, but I really think the biggest thing is talking about it with people who, who care um, it's good to have those people that have had the shared experience because there's some sort of understanding and solidarity in that, mm-hmm. but also seeking professional help before it becomes this thing of, I can't even function in my life because I'm so scared. Right. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I, I do feel like, you know, trauma, well, trauma and addiction, they kind of go hand in hand, but, um, you know, trauma to me sometimes I've, I've survived a, a traumatic experience when I was 14. I'm not going to go into it a little bit here, but I think it took me many, many, many years of talk therapy and then finally getting into somatic therapy and EMDR and yoga and mindfulness and um, all kinds of complementary therapies in order for me to feel holistic. But I definitely want to just, you know, talk about the elephant in the room a little bit because I do think that people they don't put their mental wellness on the forefront especially when they're in a reactive state of just trying to survive and trying to get through the day and at the same time like that's when you're the most raw and the most open and it is an opportune time to to like ask for those hugs and look for those people that are willing to, to listen and to hold space with you and to process and soundboard whatever you're going through so that you can get on for the next day. And um, I do feel like it kind of creeps up on you when you're least expecting it. Um, that was my experience with, with trauma, you know, is then like feeling like everything's kind of, hunky dory unless I was completely disassociating for many years and then getting completely triggered and feeling like I was right back where I started. Um, can we talk about that a little bit? Like with people, um, maybe going a little bit into substance abuse because people do seem to cope a lot with, um, with their trauma, with substance and numbing out and maybe making that correlation for people to understand how those two kind of go hand in hand. Absolutely. So I'm um, working with people who struggle with substance use. Uh, I would say mass majority have some sort of trauma history mm-hmm. um, and self-medication is not uncommon. Now, 
not every person who comes into my office sits down and is like, yes, I drink my life away because I had this awful thing happen to me when I was six and I haven't been able to process it since then. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's not usually the case. Um, Like you were saying, uh, you were thinking everything was hunky-dory and you just kind of went about your life. Well, our brain has this way of wanting to protect us. And Mm -hmm. so it protects us by either dissociating, which is uh, I am not present in my life, or avoidance where it's like, I'm going to tuck this thing so far back in my brain that I don't know even how to touch it anymore. So you repress it. Um, Or there's ways of I'm going to just distract myself my entire life by avoiding it in a different way Mm -hmm. and not feeling, which is where a lot of people struggle with substance use. They are experiencing this pain that they don't know what to do with it. And all of a sudden they find this thing that's like, oh my gosh, I feel so much better when I use this drug or drink this drink. And I don't feel the effects of that trauma anymore. Mm -hmm. Didn't realize that's what that was that I was doing. But Mm -hmm. whenever we peel the onions back underneath the the substance is usually this hurt person who never healed and found a way to cope with it that the best that they knew how at the time in order mm-hmm. to survive. And mm-hmm. it's a survival technique. It's a vehicle in a how to survive and make the pain tolerable versus mm-hmm. just living with the pain and not knowing what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I hear you. It's, <laughs> It's such a multi-layered um, life experience, you know, to to kind of try to get to the root of like where did like the chicken and the egg, like where does it start and where does it end? And it seems to all kind of get mutilated together. And I feel like the only way to make sense of all of it is to one, like you say, what they always told me is like, ask for help. And definitely it's okay to ask for help. And it's okay to, to recognize that you need help and that, that there are people who are willing and able and loving and caring and available to help you. And, you know, that's to me was, I mean, personally for me was the biggest aha was like really receiving really good, amazing help. And EMDR was absolutely the pivoting point for me. Um, but that I didn't get to experience EMDR, you know, until like 25 later, 25 years later. So how is it right now you feel in the current climate of this age that we're in with so much social media and so many people being trauma experts or what here and whatnot? What are some of <laughs> besides the, the demystifying of what trauma is, but do you see it in your recovery center, a lot of people coming in misdiagnosing themselves or not diagnosing themselves? Or what do you think is the best thing for people to do right now if they are curious about how much trauma they may or may not have, or what's their parameter for? Sure. So I I think we see a majority of people that come through our doors have some pretty significant trauma history. Um, a lot of, I would say majority of the time they don't realize that certain things were trauma in their life. Um, 
some people, I think it's, oh, we just rub some dirt in it and move on. That's a very Texas thing <laughs> yeah, um, it, where it's just this idea of I have to be strong. And so I should have already gotten over it. That's a narrative I hear quite frequently. So they don't realize that the trauma that they experienced at four and now they're 45 is actually something that was the catalyst for so much change in their life because their brain changed the moment that happened to them. Mm-hmm. So I would say that there's it, it. it's really hard to say this is exactly what trauma is and this is not mm-hmm. because it is so subjective to someone. And it's also I, whenever you were talking just a moment ago, um, I, I it came to my mind to say that it's OK that it takes someone a little longer to get through something than someone else. Um, Mm -hmm. There's no timeline of how quickly someone's going to heal from this. Um, It may. And the thing is with trauma to debunk this as well is you're not going to forget it happened to you. Yeah. It's the impact of what it does to your day to day that you're maybe not thinking about it every single day, every moment of your day. It's not debilitating you every single day. Yeah. I love that. That's, that's huge. That really hit home for me. I think, you know, when you're, that's a good way to, to, to kind of check in on how well you're doing. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, I think I was listening to someone's the other day and another expert just saying like, if you, if you've gone through something like that's very traumatic and like, even if it's like just doing one thing that contributes to something positive in any way, a day, even if it's that, that, you know, to not put so much pressure on yourself and um, mm-hmm. that that's okay to just kind of do your best every day, take it day by day. And I love all of those, those sayings of, you know, just one day at a time. Absolutely. And I think that's a, a very big substance use uh, terminology that they use in a lot of 12 step programs. But I mm-hmm. think it's true for any type of healing. Uh, it's uh, one day at a time, because Today, you may feel great and, you know, that that trauma reminder is not there. But tomorrow, it might be a hard day. And that's okay because we are not just a linear healing uh, being. Mm-hmm. Uh, healing does not look like a staircase where we just get to the top and then it's it, we're all good. Mm-hmm. There's going to be things that happen. Anniversaries, birthdays, um, times of year, being around a group of people that and remind you of something. And even though you may have healed a, a significant amount, there may, there's still this wound. I describe trauma like this, um, when it's been untouched, mm-hmm. trauma is a wound that we just put a bandaid over it. And whenever you start working on your trauma years later, you're taking that bandaid off of a wound that has never seen air. And Mm -hmm. that feels raw. It's gross. It's healed kind of weird because Mm -hmm. it hasn't really healed. And so now when you're healing it, you're, it it hurts again. And you're, you may have a scar left over because this, this thing, it was a big wound, but it's not going to hurt the same way as it used to. It's just going to be something that is a part of your story and you've learned from it. And obviously, like, like I said earlier, your brain changed when it happened. So you navigate your life a little bit differently. But mm-hmm. healing is possible. And it doesn't always have to be this raw wound that just hurts constantly. Mm-hmm. I, 
Thank you for saying that. I love the, I can see visually. I was, I was peeling back that bandaid and like, oh, that looks so gross underneath there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, which leads me into my next kind of question of just like, what are the therapies that you would recommend or that you really like right now? Um, well, not right now, but I know you use EMDR and maybe some cognitive behavior or other things. Can you just talk about some of the practices that you think are really uh, making a difference right now in your clients? Absolutely. I think EMDR is amazing. I, I worked with a client um, for about six months uh, and she uh, almost every session would be like, what is this voodoo we're doing? And because <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. She was like, wow, this is so impactful. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it is so cool because it's, it is scientific what it does to the brain. It works on using bilateral stimulation, which our brain does when we sleep. And it helps us to process the memories more properly. Um, EMDR is used for a lot of other things too, but I think it's, it is such a cool way to tap into the trauma without re-traumatizing someone. Mm -hmm. um, I also think doing a lot of inner child work is really helpful for someone who may be not ready for EMDR. Inner mm -hmm. child work is so healing because a lot of times people's trauma narrative starts when they were a child and whenever they get triggered that inner child is what's actually being triggered mm -hmm. so working to sit with themselves and heal that inner child is a really big stepping stone for them and learning how to say oh my four-year-old self is showing up they need a little more love right now to feel safe um, yeah. so that's something that we do um, I don't uh, do this type of therapy currently but I know it's really helpful it's called CPT cognitive processing therapy. Um, mm -hmm. that's, that's really helpful. Um, it's very, um, standardized. They use it a lot with veterans and there's a lot of, um, a success with, with that type of therapy style as well. And it does it from a more cognitive, um, lens than it does like EMDR works on the brain and, um, helping the memory become a little bit more distant. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think those are some really wonderful things. I also am a huge proponent for movement. Um, so doing yoga, massage therapy, Reiki, uh, doing different holistic approaches um, that can help mindfulness. Um, mm -hmm. Whenever a trigger happens, trying to get yourself back into the present and seeing your surroundings, going outside and putting your your feet in the grass, the, they call it earthing some in some places. Yeah. Um, those are all very simple ways that somebody could help themselves when being triggered outside of a, a very therapeutic setting um, mm -hmm. that they could do on their own. Um, I think all of those things are helpful because there's the theory of a top down approach, which is using your brain a little bit more and the bottom down approach, which is getting your body involved. Mm -hmm. And so yoga and movement and exercise and massage therapy, those are all really useful to helping heal trauma where it gets stuck in our bodies because mm -hmm. uh, trauma stays in our body as well, not just our brain. Absolutely. Yep. I know that for sure. And I love all of those things. And I'll throw in there sound therapy too, because I do sound therapy, but um, yes. I, I just wanted to explain a little bit that EMDR is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. 
And I, I first learned about it um, when I was going through my own healing journey, but it's a form of psychotherapy. But could you explain maybe one, what a session of EMDR? Because I had a lot of people, they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I don't know what that stands sure. for. But uh, what does it kind of entail and what makes it different? Absolutely. Yeah. The name is very like, uh, whatever that means. <laughs> um, so EMDR is an eight phase uh, process. Um, and what we do is we target trauma memories. Uh, um, that's the basis of it. Um, it uses bilateral stimulation. So meaning um, you would look at a light or finger, someone's fingers and watch them go side to side. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of hard to describe it without showing it. I, I, yeah. So I try to describe that you're just watching something go side to side. You can also do it with tones, like hearing one on one side of your ear to the other side of the ear, mm-hmm. tapping, that works as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's bilateral. So you want your left brain and your right brain to be activated. Mm-hmm. And so in doing that, um, what we're doing is targeting a specific memory. So say, uh, I'll use my example of the person being hit by a car. Um, so I think of that, I have a picture of the memory that Mm -hmm. is the worst part of that. I have a belief system that has gotten attached to that and why it's not processed, why my brain has not processed that well. Mm -hmm. Um, so a belief may be I'm not safe. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you have a belief that you want to believe that I can't, I am safe. And then you work to desensitize that image to where it doesn't become this visceral response. And we ask on a scale of zero to 10, how significant is that disturbance level for you? Mm -hmm. Um, 10 is the worst, zero is not at all. And we Mm -hmm. work to get it all the way down to a zero. Um, And we use that bilateral stimulation. We do about 30 seconds of that, stop, check in and see what the brain's doing. And the Mm -hmm. brain is processing this as we go through each of what we call passes. Mm -hmm. Um, In those passes, the brain is doing a lot of work to kind of take that image, take the thoughts, take the emotions, take the body sensations and process them the way that they need to be processed to get them to a neutral state. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what it turns into. And then we install a positive belief, which is the more appropriate belief of I am safe, I'm not in constant danger, um, mm-hmm. in order to be able to help that person have this new belief about themselves that is more appropriate. Because a lot of times what happens with trauma is we get these beliefs that are stuck in our brain. I am mm-hmm. bad. I am. It is, the world is dangerous. I mm-hmm. am, I'm never going to be loved. Those types of belief systems. And mm-hmm. we want to create new narratives that are actually truths versus these lies that have gotten stuck along with the trauma. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the goal of EMDR. It's very powerful. And thank you for explaining all of that, because I do think it gives it gives the listeners a little bit more context of what it's included in that. And where can you find somebody to do EMDR with because I know some people who reached out to me said you know they're they live in like one lady said she's in San Francisco it's just too expensive to do EMDR like she yeah. can't find, that's the challenge you know is how do you find um affordable EMDR therapy or do you have any ideas like 
for people? So it is a massive challenge. Um, I I think everywhere is experiencing um, wait lists um, because it is a very specialized type of therapy. Um, Somebody has to have specific training in it. Um, So one website that I highly recommend for people to look at is Psychology Today. And you can find EMDR therapists that way. Um, also there is the, the training source for MD, EMDR is called Emdria. It's E-M-D-R-I-A. Mm-hmm. And you can look for certified therapists that way. Um, I, I don't know for sure on like websites like BetterHelp or Sondermind if they have specific EMDR therapists, but I know there are virtual access to, there is virtual access to EMDR. It is a little bit different, but it still works. Um, yeah. So those would probably be the best resources that I would tell someone to go to at this time. Unfortunately, I don't. I don't know about the affordability part of it um, and the availability. Like I said, because okay. it's so specialized, it there's definitely a lot of wait lists for it now. Well, we're in a crazy time right now, but thank you for all of those. And I'll put those all in the episode, like right up so that, that you guys can have that um, resources available. If you want to learn more about EMDR and how to maybe get a session, if you feel like it's really calling you, but let's um, go into a little bit of our last topic, which is, I mean, we were going to talk about healing power, the present moment and understanding mindfulness And I think we kind of went over that a little bit. And those that are listening, they know I'm a mindfulness teacher too and how important it is to be in the present moment, whether that's your breath work or your everyday reality or taking time out to do silence and and being really present with everything that you're doing. But anything else that you want to say about how powerful mindfulness can be for trauma recovery? Oh, man. I I think mindfulness is... (laughs) It's such a underrated um, and simple thing that we can all do, except mm-hmm. it's complicated, <laughs> um, especially whenever we're so busy. It's hard to just stay present. And um, for someone who is traumatized, it's really hard for them to stay present because it can feel scary. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think when someone's working on um, mindfulness as a part of their trauma recovery, Take it in baby steps. It's not going to be something you're going to sit there and do an hour-long meditation without getting triggered. It's, okay, sit for 10 minutes a day. Sit for 10 minutes a day. Sit and just notice your surroundings. Um, I like doing um, a lot of grounding with clients who struggle with severe anxiety. um, And Mm -hmm. I struggle with anxiety myself. So grounding is huge in my my Mm. anxiety toolbox. Mm -hmm. Um, So having them just go through their senses and notice their surroundings around them can Mm -hmm. really bring them more into the present and not allow their brain to hijack them and go Mm -hmm. into this, this world of I'm in danger, all of the, and they're not able to function anymore. So being able to say, I am safe. What happened to me then is not happening to me now. Mm -hmm. Even just saying those words out loud, I am safe. I am in this room. I am with people I trust. I Mm -hmm. am outside and the sky is blue. Mm -hmm. Like those things can really help somebody stay present versus their brain hijacking them to that moment where they had that experience that was traumatic. 
the grounding and the tapping and do that constantly and even when you were saying that i am safe i was like tapping myself i was like tap 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 <laughs> it's just automatic now but um i i love doing breath work and grounding breath work too i think that really helps people get back into their body and tapping into mm -hmm. their body before we do sessions we're always doing that kind of work and um, yeah, mindfulness in itself. I mean, I'm in Thailand now, so Vipassana is all in. I'm a Vipassana-based teacher, but that, you know, silent retreats and all that kind of stuff, I think a lot of people kind of go in blindly without knowing, um, you know, especially if they have trauma, that it can be extremely difficult to sit through a silent meditation retreat. And so I always recommend, like, if you can, go even to, like, a half-day um, or even just an hour or two of a sitting practice at the monastery and take your time with it because uh, you really definitely will be very, very uncomfortable if you just jump full feet in into a sitting practice without um, any context for it. And usually at the monasteries and things like that or any kind of retreat center or meditation or mindfulness retreat center, they should give you like an interview application form. And in there, please be always honest with your sitting practice or if you're going through anything or your psych eval or anything like that. Um, it's it's really important so they get a good idea of where you're what you're coming in with and you know if if sitting practice or quiet meditation for long periods of time will just maybe inflame or exacerbate or trigger you even deeper. So mm -hmm. that's my little two cents about meditation retreats. But um, I really want to learn a little bit more about um, Ripple Ranch recovery and the progressive methodologies that you guys have there to help people with substance abuse. And we can talk about that a little bit of, you know, just your, your treatment methods and underlying holistic approach. Absolutely. So um, we are in, like you said, Comal County, which is um, in between Austin and San Antonio and Texas. Mm -hmm. um, we've been here a little over six years. Uh, we are an inpatient facility as well as we have an, an intensive outpatient facility and a partial hospitalization program. And we mm -hmm. also do have a general outpatient. So we have a whole continuum of care. Um, mm -hmm. In addition, detox. I, I always wrap our inpatient with our detox. Um, so we have the detox to residential, to PHP, to IOP, to general outpatient. So that's kind of our continuum of care which we feel is ideal for someone to go through to have the most success in stepping down from intensive to being able to go and just see a therapist maybe once a week for a while. Right. Um, so that's kind of our, our um, way that we recommend. And um, here at Ripple, what we do is we provide a 30 day program um, mm -hmm. and they have programming all day long where they're attending group therapy. So our group therapy is an alternative to 12-step. We do offer 12-step as an option um, because we do know it works for people, but we also have a lot of people who've been burned by 12-step. Mm -hmm. And so we allow them to explore other options. So we do things like Dharma, which is Buddhist principles um, mm -hmm. for recovery. We do smart recovery. Um, so those are kind of, we do dual diagnosis because we do have a really heavy emphasis on mental health as well here. Mm -hmm. 
Um, we do things like love addiction. So being able to address different um, modalities of recovery groups, but mm-hmm. we also have a lot of holistic approaches. So we do yoga every day. We have Tai Chi. We do tea ceremonies. Um, we have nature recovery. We do mm-hmm. fitness um, where they have like access to doing CrossFit to get their bodies moving. Mm. Um, currently, we have Reiki. We do something called um, neuroscience where they do neuro coaching. Um, mm-hmm. And that helps with anxiety. Um, so we do art therapy, we have canine therapy, uh, a plethora of holistic approaches that are not just classes, mm-hmm. um, as well as we do have a lot of clinical um, Im- uh, impact as well. So we do DBT classes, um, we do thought modification classes, we do classes on trauma, on grief, um, that are led by clinicians as well. Mm-hmm. Um Clients here have access to a therapist um, about six days a week. Um, They get about two sessions a week. uh, They're assigned to a therapist and a case manager who helps with their aftercare planning. Um, They have medical staff here as well. So we do have the medical side of things to help people um, get on the right psych meds that they need access to. Mm -hmm. We have psychiatrists. Um, We do medicated assisted treatment for people who need a little bit more help with the cravings because something that uh it's just not something that we're um always able to do without a medication assistance so we want to make sure um that we are addressing the whole person and uh that's that is our goal here at ripple ranch and uh, we service adults here we do have an adolescent outpatient program but uh that is uh, it is an outpatient not an inpatient at this point in Mm -hmm. time Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what we do. That sounds like an amazing program. I feel like everyone should do it. <laughs> it's pretty cool. There's some classes I'm like, man, I really should go jump in on that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you totally should. If I was there, I would do I was like, do they have equine therapy? Like, I love horse therapy. Like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, all of all of the different complementary therapies, I think, are so wonderful. It's 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 so important, I think, in lots of ways you know, if you are listening to this and you're considering or thinking of like, wow, I'd, I'd, I'd really like to go into, you know, um, a, a treatment facility or recovery, like always looking at a holistic one, I think is um, really the way to go. And is it for anybody who's listening, like, do you guys re- take insurance or is it only private? We do. We have a whole list of insurances on our our website and we do also do private um, pay options as well um, and uh, I think we're constantly getting more insurances that we are taking uh, we have a wonderful team that works to make sure that we create access for people to seek our services pretty mm-hmm. consistently that's great I mean I think that's one of the major obstacles for people is you know once they realize that they really want to go into a facility, then they have to figure out how they're going to be able to take time out of their life and then, you know, be able to even afford to go. Um, and Absolutely. I feel, yeah, so all those varieties is just, it's very commendable. I'm very impressed with you guys. And I totally really covered actually so much ground, Kat. <laughs> <laughs> so impressed with us right now but um, we did it 
<laughs> we did it. Is there anything else that you want to add in here, though, for anybody that's listening? Um, this, of course, will be posted as soon as, as as soon as possible. But anything that you want to say, I know the holidays are coming up. It's it's a really challenging time. Um, is there anything that Ripple Ranch does, even if what if they're not located in Texas? Um, so we we accept people from all around the country. Um, our admissions line is open to talk to people to provide information. Um, we're happy to have a conversation even so we can be a resource. Um, we do have some things on our website. There are kind of some tips. Um, talk about we do talk about trauma a lot here um, about different things that might be helpful for someone who's seeking recovery. How do I identify? Do I need recovery? Um, our website has a lot of little videos on there um, that w- can be helpful as, as a resource. Um, but in general, I think just as the holidays are coming up, the, those tend to be harder times. Be sure to keep conversation with people. It, it's it's important to feel connected in a time that can we are supposed to be super connected, but feels disconnected for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, so just be sure to find someone that you can feel comfortable speaking with and talking about if you don't feel okay and it's okay. I know it's cliche nowadays to say it's okay not to be okay. Um, but we don't want you to not be okay alone. So there's Mm -hmm. always someone to talk to, um, in the States. Now, if you're struggling with, um, even thoughts of hurting yourself, there's a number to call 988. they're available. That's a listening ear, if nothing Mm -hmm. else. So uh, I always recommend for people to reach out. That's, that's the hardest part is reaching out. And once you do, I think it's, it it makes a world of a difference. It's life changing. Mm. Yeah, it is life changing. So I, I I wholeheartedly support all of that of if you're in any kind of suffering or really need someone to listen to, like, please reach out and find somebody. Um, I do have a phone number here for you guys, which is 830-494-4717. And that's um, from the website. And I think it's rippleranch.com. Is that right? Yes. Yes, ma'am. Okay. And um, so I'm going to just repeat that number. It's 830 Four four seven one seven and rippleranch.com and if you want to contact Kat directly I'm sure you can find her on the website but it's Kat Perry and she's the clinical director there at Ripple Ranch Recovery and thank you so much Kat for this really engaging conversation I can't wait to maybe have you on the program again and we can talk about another aspect of trauma healing or trauma wellness and um get more people to, you know, be comfortable with even saying the word trauma, I think will help everybody. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure being on the show. And thanks for this awesome conversation. (laughs) Thanks so much. And lots of little hugs and kisses to your baby boy, right? Oh, thank you. Yes. I can't wait to just go home and give him all of that today. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Have a good day. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Golden Thread Podcast. Stay tuned for more episodes. Until next time, please be well and take care.